like Charles said at the beginning of our time, today's going to be a little different. And I want to introduce my friend Calvin. This is uh, Pastor Kelvin Dorsey, lead pastor of Sandusky Life Church. A friend of mine, a married guy to his wife Amanda, and they have a little boy at home. And I'm really looking forward to what God has to say, uh, especially through Calvin this morning. But to set things up and just to, to give some uh, understanding of where we're going today, uh, we're anchoring what's happening up here in what God has to say in the Beatitudes. And we've been in a message series, whether you're back today for the first time, or you've been following us online, you've been here the whole time, and this message series is called The Good Life. And Jesus is saying, look, everyone's looking for the good life, but if you really want to discover what the good life is, follow my word, especially in the Beatitudes. And so Jesus, in the Beatitudes, he has a lot to say about who we ought to be as Christ followers. And what he has to say today is super important. If we want to put that on the screen, I'd really appreciate that. I think back there. There we go. Thank you so much. This is what the Beatitude will be looking at today. Matthew 5, 9. Jesus says this. God blesses those who work for peace. Those who work for peace, they'll be called the children of of God, or have, as the NIV says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I love that Jesus says, look, if you are a child of God, if you are someone who calls yourself a Christ follower, then you are called to work for peace or to be a peacemaker. I love how D.A. Carson puts it, and this is really important. This beatitude does not hold out a blessing to the peaceful, nor to those who yearn for peace, but to the peacemaker. He's saying this, all of us want peace. I don't know if you've noticed lately in our culture, there is not a lot of peace happening. Whether it's the mask issue, whether it's, we have a presidential election that's going to be interesting over the next couple of months. We have Republican versus Democrat. Everyone just seems on a side. And if I'm honest, I don't see a lot of people, especially in the church, working for peace, who want to be a peacemaker, who sees the divide. And instead of adding to it or attacking the other side, they're actually working to bring people together. Jesus is saying, Christ follower, you and I are called to do that. It's part of being a follower of Christ. Because Jesus himself does it. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. His title in scripture is the Prince of Peace. When Jesus is around, he says, peace be with you. He literally was the embodiment of peace. But he didn't just say, hey, I'm just going to bring peace. He literally did something about it. Jesus saw this great divide between the Father and the creation of the world. And he wanted to come into this world to bring it together, to reconcile it. To say, hey, Jesus, or God and his people are on one side and the other side. We need to bring them together and be unified. And that's what Jesus does. Lives a sinless life and then he dies on the cross for our death, for our shame, for our sin, for our past. He worked at peace. He takes it on himself and he dies three days later so that we can have peace with God beginning in this world. And I love being a recipient of that peace. But Jesus says, now that you understand peace, 
from an eternal perspective, now go out and be peace. Work at being a peacemaker, and that's what we want to do today. Let me give you just a few ways that you and I can do that. We can work for peace to ease tensions. Again, everything is tension-filled right now in our culture. When's the last time that we did something in order to ease the tension in our world right now? When is the last time we spoke out against something in the name of Christ? Or seek solutions. There's a lot of news channels that continue to show us problems. Social media shows us the problem. But when's the last time we said, you know what? We see the problems. Now I want to be a solution to that problem. How can I, in my sphere of influence as a parent or as a coworker or as a chapel member, work to be the solution of reconciling people to one another? Encourage communication. And right with that, what James says here is, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I promise you, if we, just even as the church, let alone those outside the church, truly adopted what James says here, Calvin and I wouldn't even need to be up here. I mean, can you imagine living in a world where we just didn't have to put everything we think on social media, but we actually could just listen to the other side and just maybe wonder, could the other side be right? A lot of times, God's voice sounds like mine. A lot of times, God's voice sounds like the news channel that I like to go to. A lot of times, God's voice sounds like, for me, a white person. When's the last time that I listened to somebody else? And that's why today, we want to just be learners. And this is a great way to work for peace, is to learn. To learn from those who you may not always learn from. And that's why I want to bring my friend Calvin into the conversation right away. Calvin, I really appreciate your heart. Um, after uh, George Floyd was killed in May, uh, Calvin was my first person that I went to. I said, Calvin, I, I want to I hear. I want to listen. I want to I ask you questions. I want you to ask us questions. And so Pastor Todd and I spent a long time with uh, Calvin downtown Sandusky just listening. And, and I think we both grew from that conversation. I want to give you just an insight into that conversation today. So Calvin, thank you so much for being a part of the chapel. Can we just say thank you for Calvin for being here today? Uh, Before we get into this conversation, Calvin, I I just want to pray for you and I want to pray for us. And, And all I'm asking you to do is, if you're like me, I can lean one side. Can we just ask God to just bring us this way just a little bit this morning? to search our hearts, God, and to know where we go wayward in, and would you call that out in us today? Just take a few moments to pray that to the Lord, and then I will pray as well. Father, would you just break through our hearts this morning and help us just to take one step closer to you and closer to each other. We love you, Jesus. Calvin, um, we've had some great conversations just about different uh, race relations and and different things going on. And so I want to start off by asking something, two questions that we need to just unpack to make sure we're all on the same page. Yeah, yeah. So the first question I want to ask you is the the hashtag that a lot of people are putting on their posts and in different kind of interactions is hashtag Black Lives Matter. (laughs) And for a lot of people, I don't think we truly understand what that means. We think of it as something political. Yeah, yeah. 
But for you, when, when you say or you hear Black Lives Matter, what does that truly mean? What does that uh, truly mean? Um, before, I, before I answer that, uh, I'm going to be a little honest. Uh, I was a little nervous looking out um, at the crowd. I was a little nervous. And then I saw um, a Browns jersey. <laughs> um, and I immediately knew that I was of like company. Yes. <laughs> We're unified in all there things, we go. right? There we go. All things. But, um, <laughs> Uh, to the question about Black Lives Matter, um, for me um, and many people who are uh, believers who I um, associate with, when we see the term uh, Black Lives Matter, we have a saying amongst us that we, we support the movement, um, but not so much the organization. And what, what we mean by that is, is that when I hear the term um, Black Lives Matter, um, it very much I resonate with those words. Um, and what it means to me is that if I believe the word of God and that every single person on this planet was made in the image of God, then that means that every single person has value. And so when I see the term uh, Black Lives Matter, it means that we're saying that we have this uh, uh, people group that exists in our country where sometimes the, 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 the pendulum or scale swings opposite the direction. And so we highlight that by saying black lives also have value in the uh, scope of American society. So um, I see that hashtag and I always say that, yes, to me, I, I champion it, amen, black lives do have value. Um, but when it comes to the organization, when organizations uh, become afoot, you, you have uh, uh, mission statements, you have agendas, you have all these different things. And I don't necessarily support um, the ideologies or the uh, uh, stance of that organization. But when I see that phrase, it means to me and to many of people I know who uh, uh, I call brothers and sisters who uh, champion that, that, that black lives have just as much value as every single person or people group on this planet. I thought all lives matter, Calvin. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny. Uh, I always say you can tell the sentiment behind something simply by the origin of it. The, 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 the term all lives matter didn't exist until black lives matter came about. And so um, it, it becomes, uh, I, I'm being honest, it becomes very, uh, when I hear that term, it becomes very disingenuous that do we truly believe all lives matter? And the reason I say that is because um, when when someone says, hey, I want to take a march uh, for breast cancer, no one walks up to them and says, stop doing that, all cancer matters. Mm. When someone uh, 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 points to uh, uh, the sex trade or sex slavery in the world, no one says, hey, stop making awareness for that because all slavery matters. It would seem very disingenuous and insensitive. And so that response even in itself shows a great deal of lack of understanding and care. Um, and so Black Lives Matter is not a, a sense of to bring supremacy or, or any of, the, of that sort, but it is to say that we recognize that this people group has experienced or has an experience that has been marginalized um, throughout history, and we want to now say we value that life just as much. So All Lives Matter doesn't really, uh, uh, if when it's said, uh, I don't believe it has the genuineness that truly all lives matter because if we had a place of empathy, we wouldn't even 
start a conversation like that. That's so good. And I remember when I, I heard that, I'm like, yeah, of course all lives matter. I'm like, first of all, Calvin, you would not disagree with that. But second of all, you know, when I look back in our history, our recent history, not just in the 1700s, 1800s, yeah. I mean, like 60 years ago, <laughs> and, and even yeah. <laughs> sooner than that in our history, I mean, segregation was right there. And so if we say all lives matter and, and discredit like black lives, they didn't matter for a long time. At least our country said that. And of so we got to work better at that. I think the next one, so if we're going to get everything on the table, Calvin, let's just yeah, go yeah. for it. Let's go for the <laughs> police right. question now. Um, before I talk about police, can I just say something honestly? If you walk away from today and you think, man, the chapel doesn't support police or Calvin doesn't support police, can I just honestly and kindly say, but as truthfully as I can, you are looking at it through an agenda or a political view or a lens that we are not saying up here. This is not political. I have a very dear cousin whom I love, who's a police officer, and she is an amazing person. And we have family members and friends. I am a pro, 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 pro police. We just have to have, you know, a conversation just about this. I just wanted to put that out there. Calvin, as I look at our culture right now, we're, we're on two different sides. It's if you're black, therefore you hate the police. And if you're the police, therefore you hate blacks. But that's not the truth. No. So I want you just to spend a, a few moments unpacking that and telling us what you think about the police and how you're for them and believe in them. So um, when it comes to, I, I'll say it, I've said it um, until acknowledging them, like to the point of, I don't, I don't have a problem with the police. I love the police. Um, I always say this, if someone uh, breaks into my home at 12 in the morning, there's, who are you gonna call? Like, it's going, I'm going to call the police. Like, I don't have any issue with that. It's not a, a hesitancy in my bones. Um, but the reality is, is that that conversation of police and that dynamic with minority communities is a very deep, nuanced thing. So I have family members that are, I have several cousins who are police. Um, I have friends who are police. Um, and so it's not this because I'm black that you, you hate the police. But if you look throughout just even the inception of the policing um, uh, system, there is a clear difference in the way um, black and brown communities are policed um, differently than other communities. So there is this, this tension that comes about. But I always say this, I love the police. I'm just here to say, well, the same way I look at pastors in communities, the, way, the same way I look at doctors in communities, they're held to a higher standard. Sure. And so uh, uh, I, I want the people who are called, and, and I always say this, I'm American. I want to make that clear. I don't see myself separately outside of the community of American society. I care about my community. I support police. I do all of that. But I also want the police that are here to protect and serve us to also do it in a way that's fair and equitable. Um, so I never feel at harm or at un unease or anybody in any community to feel at harm and unease um, about the police. Yeah. I have to spoil something for you. I'm not black. I don't know <laughs> if you knew that or not, okay? This but I'm not. Com complete revelation. Um, <laughs> but something that's interesting that I've thought about over these last couple of weeks is I've never also consider myself being white in the sense of, of course, I'm white, but I never have to worry about that. Yeah. Like, it's just, yeah. if you look out in our congregation today, I'm, I fit in. Yeah. But as I look at the congregation today, I see a, a few black or different colors out there, but not yeah. many. And so you 
are not just a minority right now in our church, to thank you so much for being here and, and walking into that uncomfortable environment. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're also the minority in America. And for someone who just doesn't even understand what it means to walk in your shoes as a black man, can you give us an example of what it feels like to be in the minority? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so one thing that people don't realize is that um, I can't hide or escape from my skin color. That means that it, it is immediately a, a moment that you realize that you are different um, everywhere you go. Um, it's actually, I'll share this little story. Um, I, used, I was at a job for uh, quite some time and a, a young lady who were, we, we had this diverse collective of friends and it was a young white lady and she says to me, she says, Calvin, what is so different about, you know, she was like, I've experienced prejudice um, and I've experienced this in my life. So what's so different about when you experience prejudice? And, and I said, at the time, I said, currently America sits at around 75% white. Yeah. I said, African-Americans sit at 11%. Mm. I said, you can go throughout your entire life without ever having to encounter a person of color. I said, I don't have that luxury. I said, everywhere I go, everywhere I, uh, if I have to go to the, the government, if I have to go anywhere that I have to go in life, um, I'm reminded of my blackness. Um, and I'm made aware of that. And, and, and it, it's something that you can't, like I, I have friends who say, well, if I choose not to go to a side of town, I have that luxury. Um, being black in America, you often are reminded every single day of your color and that you cannot escape that reality. Um, yeah. Give me an example of when you first realized, wow, yeah. I'm black. Um, so that, that is, man, um, I, I'll share this story. Um, it was a moment for me. I think um, many uh, African-Americans or black Americans would have that point where they say, this is a point of where I realized that not only that I was different, but that it was, I was viewed differently in the American lens. Um, I was about nine or 10, and I would uh, ride through the neighborhood on my father's bike. And he would put me on the handlebars, and he would ride me up and down uh, East Cleveland. And uh, we, we would just have a blast. That was like some of my most joyous moments as a kid. And one time we were riding home uh, back from uh, a family uh, event, and I'm on my dad's handlebars, and we're about two minutes from the house. And we get right before we get to the house, um, an officer, uh, pulls up and he stops us and he begins to uh, question my father um, on why we were out, um, question my father on what we were doing out. And the interesting part about that is, is if anyone knew my father, my father was a leader of leaders. He was a proud man. He kept his held, uh, head held high um, and he just, I met, my, my, my dad would be a commanding person in a room, a leader amongst leaders. and. That was not the occurrence here. This young officer was probably about half my father's age. And he, he began to belittle my father. He began to talk down to my father. And he began to, um, in many ways, emasculate him. I'd never forget this as a nine-year-old. My dad never made eye contact and he kept his eyes directly on the ground and said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I'm confused. 
I'm wondering why is this interaction happening? Why is all this, this happening with my father? And after the encounter um, of him questioning us um, and belittling my father, um, I asked my dad, I said, why did this happen? Why is this happening? And why did you even talk to him? Like, I'm confused because my dad's like a superhero to me. Mm. And he responds to me. He says, son, that is the way things are. And I want you to do exactly the same when you get stopped so you can walk away. And at that point, as a nine-year-old boy, I stopped becoming just a kid. I realized that I was a black man. And then I also realized that it, is, it can be viewed as a negative light amongst our society. You said something. You said, you know, that's just, that is, your dad said that's just how it is. And I remember, Calvin, you, when you told the story the first time, I just thought to myself, it's not like that. Mm. I've never had to go through that. And so, therefore, since my reality isn't that, it's so easy to discredit things, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and yet, when I, when I finally just step out of my life and step into your life, because that's what empathy is, and to hear you, um, that breaks my heart. And I, I, I've talked to Calvin about some of these things. You know, um, I, since George uh, Floyd's died and, and some other things have gone on, uh, I've prided myself in saying I'm not racist, and I think all my white friends here would say I'm not racist either. Mm-hmm. But then I, I started hearing this term, and I thought, but I'm not that. It, mm-hmm. There's a difference between not being racist and being anti-racist. Mm-hmm. You know what's interesting? I've thought about some things that have been put into my life unconsciously that I didn't even know and therefore led to a bias. I'll give you three. If you're from, if you ever go to Sandusky and you're going down um, Columbus Ave or even going down 250, you go through Perkins, which is I'm from, in predominantly white suburban area. You go down and then there's this divide, which is Perkins Ave, and then you go into Sandusky. And I remember growing up and when we would make that, that change into Sandusky, I remember even just family member of mine would, would just almost change their demeanor. And I remember the phrase, don't go down Hancock Street. Actually, they would say, don't go down Han Crack Street because there's a lot of black people. And I went, white, I thought, but I didn't think of anything of it. It was just, oh, yeah. And then when I was growing up, my grandfather said to me he would rather be married a pig than a black person. I love my wife. I would never want to be with anybody else, but I never even considered a black person to be my wife because of that subconsciously. And the other thing that I've learned recently, Calvin, is that when I tell a story, let's say that you, you and I were together, right? And we were with a bunch of people, and someone says, oh, who is Calvin? Oh, let's, let's do this. If they said, who is Charles? I'd start to describe Charles, but I never would tell he was that white guy with glasses. Mm-hmm. If I were to describe you, I'd probably say he's the black person. I, so those are the things for me that subtly in my life, I'm not a racist at all, but am I anti-racist? Am I willing to confront some of those things in my life? And I've had to grieve some of those things. So for you, Calvin, um, you know, Austin Channing Brown in her book, I'm Still Here, says when she talks about things as a black person, oftentimes someone like me who's feeling guilty wants to confess everything to you, and then um, she ends up looking at the white person and says, what are you going to do about it? Kevin, what, what do we do about it? If, they, if people here see some racism in their lives or see some things and they're just not even sure what to do to fight for other people of skin, wh- where do we go from here? 
that that is a uh, Eric. That is a very layered question. <laughs> um, I love the points that you guys have up here about working for Keith. Um, and a few stick out to me. Um, they're all great. Um, the few that stick out is the the quick to listen, listening, um, and the attempt to learn. Um, and I would add I would add a point of action to that. Mm. But I think before you even get to that place, there has to be a framework of a couple of things. And I think it is, a big one is humility. Mm. You cannot begin to have real conversations of listening and learning until you become humble enough to accept that you do not know everything. One of my favorite Proverbs is uh, Proverbs 4, 7. It says, if it costs everything you have, gain understanding. Mm. We have to come to a place of humbling ourselves as learners and listeners um, and have honest conversations. A big part of that is truth to say, okay, where am I? Because if you don't come at this as a a humble learner, a humble listener, then you'll never even make it to a place of action. Mm. And when I say action, most people are like, oh, what does he mean? Like, take what, what action for me looks like intentionally building relationships with people who don't look like you, think like you, or vote like you. I love this quote that says, proximity breeds empathy, distance breeds suspicion. So the reality is, is a quick self-inventory sometimes is when we look at our, is, is our framework for someone of color solely what we see on the news, television, or listen to in a music video? Because that is not a people, and that is not an accurate description of a person. And so often, we get to begin to have relationships because then that relationship begins to say, wow, I did not know uh, you went through that. I did not understand how you viewed this. And it goes both ways. Yeah. I'm sorry, I want to share something that was interesting. I had a friend uh, uh, who I built a great relationship with in the last four years, and he's white. And he was one time on the phone with me as I was parked for a weekend little staycation at a hotel. And on the phone with me, I have him on speakerphone, and a cop pulls, just pulls into the parking lot, and he hears him in the background. And the cop is saying, well, why are you here at this hotel? And I said, staying with my wife. And he says, well, you know, what do you plan on doing? I said, staying with my wife. (laughs) And he begins to, about the conversation went for almost 15, 20 minutes, and I intentionally did not hang up the phone. And immediately, as soon as I got off, the, the officer left and did, ran my license and did all this, my friend said to me, he said, why did that just happen to you? And then he immediately said, I never would have believed it unless I was on the phone with mm. you. And I, two points I said, I said, it's unfortunate that you wouldn't have believed it unless you experienced it, but I'm glad you experienced it. But he would have never had that encounter had we not been friends. His relationship with me has gained him a place and advantage of looking at it from an empathetic standpoint. In a moment, we're going to take communion, and um, I'm going to have Calvin lead us in communion to show us that we're all one in Christ. He is so humble. One of the things that he said to Todd and I that blew my mind, and it challenged me more than anything in our conversation, he said, Eric, 
there are prejudices both ways. I have a lot of black friends who are prejudiced towards white people, and you know what I do? I call them out on it. And I thought, that's what a peacemaker does. And just by Calvin saying that, now when I'm with my grandfather and I hear him say something, I'm going to lovingly say that's not true. Because I have a friend who I know that he represents Jesus and he represents who black people really are, not what I think they are. So I just appreciate your humility by not, you're confronting it with your own race and then you are just challenging us by your life to do that. And we want to be peacemakers as well. I love, and I'll end with this verse, um, Galatians 3.28. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. I think if Paul were here today, he'd say black or white. (laughs) For all of you are in Christ Jesus, and we want to celebrate that today. So if you have your communion cups, you can um, get them out, and Jeremy's going to come and um, play for us as we take communion. And uh, I'm going to let Calvin lead uh, what it means just to tell you at the top of your communion cup, there's a little plastic thing right here at the top. It's hard to get to. You'll pull that open for the bread, and then you'll pull the rest open for the juice. Calvin. Yeah. Uh, always uh, one of the parts I love about the gathering, um, still to this day, is when we get a chance to take communion. Um, when I look at communion, it is the great equalizer. Mm that we all stand before God broken in need of his grace. Yes. I think that's what Paul and Jesus understood, is that when we take this bread that represents the body that was broken for us, is that every single one of us are in desperate need of a Savior. And so I want to take this together in unity that this is the body that was broken for us for our sins. Let's take it together. And also, he was broken, but he was pierced for our transgressions. And this juice represents the blood that was Build on Calvary as a remission from our sins. So we humbly accept God's love. We, we, we humbly come to him thankful and grateful that he went to the cross with each and every single one of us in mind. Let's take the juice together. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Jeremy's going to sing a song over us. It's called The Blessing. It's not just God's blessing for us, but it's representative of our blessing to you, Calvin, as our friend and as our pastor who's an amazing guy and and fighting for peace just like we need to as well.
after every message in this message series, we're just asking us to be the light, to take what we're doing in this room and to be a light in a dark culture. And just this week, our simple challenge to you is to listen to someone who may be different than you. Ask good questions, get to know them, and maybe our perspective will continue to change to look more like Jesus. There's so many good books like out there like the new Jim Crow laws or uh, be how to be an anti-racist. So many great books, so many great Christian books written by black authors that Calvin can tell you about uh, that will give us a great perspective. And speaking of Calvin, he'll be up here. Um, if you want to chat with him afterwards, he'd love to be with you and listen to you. Um, so please come up forward. If not, we're going to dismiss you row by row beginning right now. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Eric.